0: We will now read today's scripture reading from 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 7. In our pew Bibles, this is on page 260. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Zeba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Ammiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Ammiel at Lodabar.
1: Good morning. I've yet to meet someone named Mephibosheth in the flesh, and I'm still looking forward to that day. So any of you expecting babies, that'd be cool. Um, What's going on with David here? Because this is not typically what happens. Typically what happens in regime changes is the previous regime is completely wiped out and the new regime comes in so that there's no threat from the previous regime. And so what's really going on with David, what's really his motive, is it more of just like, I'm going to play nice when this guy comes here, I'm going to slaughter him and that will be the end of Saul's reign. Don't have to worry about those guys anymore. Nobody coming to claim that they're the rightful heir to the throne or anything like that. So it's, it's kind of, when you first read this as, someone that's maybe never read this before, that's kind of how you're approaching this, and that you're reading this and like, oh, David's going to get this guy. That's why he's telling Ziba, who's the servant, former servant of Saul, to like go, who else is there? Oh yeah, bring him over. And so you're, you're thinking this, you're like, oh, he's going to take him out. And so that's kind of like the background as we're approaching this text here. And so that first verse, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And so for the reader, the audience, one can either be thinking like, oh, David's a really nice guy. He's going to really take him in. Or it can be the other side, right? Yeah, this is it. This is where he wipes off all of Saul's lineage. And so here we are being confronted with the reasoning. And I don't think David has an ulterior motive, as you have the entire Bible before you and you read through it, that this is really his intent. He did want to help Jonathan and keep a promise. And so he does restore all of Saul's land to Mephibosheth, his heir. It's in verse 7. And in this chapter, there's there's a very, very key word to keep in mind. And it's the word that is interpreted in your Bibles as kindness. Um, but in Hebrew, it's this word chesed. And chesed implies a, a covenant, a promise. And when And in a covenant with God, there is a a security that we have, a privilege that we have, a a belonging, a, a place that we have. And all of this is to be held in wonder, to be held in awe, and to not fully grasp the amazing grace that one is having. And so 2 Samuel 9 is... Highlighting this covenant relationship. And then in verses 1 through 3 we're shown this power of this covenant. So verses 2 and 3. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, chesed, of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Ziba knows the background of the house of Saul. He knows Saul's family. He knows of Saul's estate and his holdings. And even though Jonathan has been dead for some time now, since he was killed on Mount Gilboa back in 1 Samuel chapter 31, David wanted to show chesed. So yes, it includes kindness, but it's more than just kindness. It entails mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love. A love that is faithful, steadfast. It doesn't let up. It's devoted. It's committed. And so David wanted to show that type of love to Jonathan through Jonathan's descendants because he promised that to Jonathan in a covenant. See, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan asked David to make a covenant with him. So back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 14. This is Jonathan making this covenant ask of david if i am still alive show me steadfast love and it's the same word that i'm asking you to highlight it's that word chesed of the lord that i may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love again same hebrew word from my house forever when the lord cuts off every one of the enemies from david from the face of the earth and jonathan made a covenant with the house of david saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And so here is this covenant they make to one another. And this is the covenant that David is fulfilling to Jonathan. So if there is anyone left in the house of Saul, David is going to show them chesed. Now by the time we get to Second Samuel chapter 9, it's about 20 years since Jonathan's death. And David is going to honor this two decades later. He's going to practice this kindness, this love that never forgets toward Mephibosheth. And nothing's going to change David's mind because it's a covenant that he made. And so there is no excuses for him. He is going to exercise chesed. And, and even though it's 20 years ago, he could make all these different excuses such as, that was so long ago. You know, that was so long ago. I, you know, you know two guys when they talk we just say things we agreed but you know it's it, it, we're not i'm not going to do that kill them. and sometimes we do things like this don't we sometimes people make these marriage covenants to one another and and then there are these different reasons you know we, we were young you know you you know, you know we we've changed things have changed and there's different things even though it's a covenant that sometimes people look for ways to get out of these covenants to get out of the out of these commitments that they've made and it's not so with David and this covenant he made with Jonathan and a covenant is a is a promise made in the past that dictates your fidelity in the present that dictates your fidelity moving forward and this covenant controls one's behaviors and and your actions and as Christians our lives are made up of Many different types of covenant obligations. You and I, those of us who have been baptized, we've made a public declaration of our faith in baptism. Or if you've dedicated your child in infant baptism, you've you've shown this covenant that you were going to raise this child in the Lord publicly before the church. Or if, if you've spoken your marital vows in a marital covenant towards one another, you've publicly declared these vows in a cloud of witnesses who attended your wedding ceremony. And so we have these different covenant promises that we exercise, and these promises drive how we live. And so as those being baptized, we live as disciples of Christ, as parents or guardians of those children that we've dedicated. We, We are committing that we are raising them in the ways of the Lord. That marital covenant that we've made to each other, we are committing to each other till death do us part in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. All those different vows that we've made to each other. And so those commitments and that obedience dictates or is dictated by the covenants we've made. And I've seen many people live with the covenants they've made, and I've seen many people break the covenants they've made. And here we see David follow through on the covenant that he made, that there is a power in keeping the covenant. And so next, in verses 4 through 7, we read of the provision David makes through this covenant. So 4 through 7, And the king said to David, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And this verse in verse 7 is the key verse of it. The entire chapter of chapter 9. That David's covenant provides Mephibosheth several things. First of all, he's telling him, I'm going to protect you. Right? He says, do not fear. I got you. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of you. Secondly is, is a provision. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. I'm going to give this all back to you. All that was taken from the Philistines, all back to you. I'm going to take care of you. Thirdly is a place, a place of belonging. You shall eat at my table always. You don't have to worry about being a son of Saul. You don't have to worry about being outcast of a former regime. You're going to be like one of my kids. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to eat with me. Settled. So, protection, provision, and place. Now, Mephibosheth didn't just get to live, he, he lived, he lived good, he lived really well. And it was more than just having his life spared by David that David exercised chesed, goodness, kindness, love, mercy. And you notice this, that in verses 7, 10, 11, and 13, that he is eating at David's table. That is mentioned four times, that you're going to eat at my table, Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of his sons. And this is a huge privilege. He was an enemy. And he's taken in. That Mephibosheth is cared for by the king and with the king. And Mephibosheth, you will never be without. You will always have whatever I have, whatever my sons have. And so there's a parallel. Because isn't this you and I under God's covenant in Jesus. That we have the same things. And so this is a picture we have between David and Mephibosheth, and that is a small glimpse of the covenant that we have with God. Just as David made a covenant with Jonathan for Mephibosheth, God made a covenant with Jesus for you and me. That He's going to keep that covenant... No matter what, no excuses forever. That you and I have privileges as the children of God, that we are protected, that we are provided for, that we have a place, a place of belonging, so much more than even Mephibosheth, because ours is forever lasting. Now, how can we be assured of this covenant between God and us through Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And Jesus said this in John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. provides us. Jesus is the bread of life who provides for us this covenant between God and Jesus. He's the person that the covenant is made with and we are the recipients of that covenant being fulfilled and welcomed into that kingdom. Verse 8, And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now you notice that in the last few verses... Mephibosheth himself is the one being highlighted. Prior to that, he's just kind of being spoken about within conversations with Ziba or like whatever. He's just kind of third person. And now he's brought into the light that his name is mentioned four times out of the seven times he's mentioned in this entire chapter. And we're informed at the very last sentence that Mephibosheth was lame in both his feet. We read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So this happened right after that battle in Mount Goboa, where Jonathan was killed, news of the Philistines coming for them and and killing Jonathan reaches the family, and so they leave. They leave in haste. They leave in a hurry. And so this accident happens. Mephibosheth falls. He becomes lame. And so on that day, this five-year-old boy lost his dad. That day, he loses his mobility to walk in a way that he used to be able to and run the way he used to be able to. And in that moment of loss, he moves from being a prince's son who had full mobility and use of his legs to a boy without a father, to a boy who used to have full use of his legs but does not anymore, and from a king's grandson who would stand to inherit what his grandfather had for him in terms of the estate and the land and the holdings to being this boy who lost everything. Nothing. It's all gone. Philistines have it. Now you look back to verse 3 and how Ziba described Mephibosheth. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. You notice that Ziba doesn't even mention him by name. And you look at how Mephibosheth even saw himself in verse 8. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And so you see how people looked at Mephibosheth. You see how Mephibosheth saw himself. That this is a guy of prominence before with the promise of everything in the future, and then it just all is lost. And this is how people view him, this is how he views himself. And here's the saddest part, verses six and seven. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. What's the saddest part in all of that is that he just saw himself as a dead man. This is it for me. I I thought I was at the low of the lows. I thought, you know, I was five years old. I was fully able to run. I was a prince. Now I have nothing, and this is how my life is going to end. Verses 6 and 7, he's just going to kill me off. I've stayed alive for 20 years during this time. I've been able to make it and and just at least stay alive, but now this is how my life ends. People don't even want to recognize me by name, not even my former servant. I'm just a dead dog. The way that I look at myself, I'm, I'm nothing and here I'm just going to be slaughtered, just like that. And so he's there fearing for his life, and he thought that he was brought to David to have Saul, this this entire lineage, completely stamped out because he is the last remnant of the previous king's dynasty. And in order to assure that there is no longer a threat from that previous kingly dynasty, all descendants, as customary and historically done, were wiped out. And who knows if he knew about the covenant that was made with his dad in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And and even if he did, was King David going to keep it? And so David said to Mephibosheth, the first thing he says is, do not fear. Why? Because he's fearful. That's why he says that. That, That's precisely why he tells him that first. Because he's obviously scared. He's obviously afraid of why he's there. He thought I'm being brought here to be killed. I already have a physical handicap. I already don't look at myself with very high esteem, nor does anyone else. But it doesn't mean that I can't see what's happening before me, that I'm going to be brought here and I'm going to be slaughtered. I'm going to be killed because this ruling regime now does not want anything of a threat from my grandfather Saul, and I'm the last remnant. And if anyone's going to take the place of Saul, it's me. And so he's going to kill me. And that would be true. That should be true. If you were to look at any historical books in regards to regime changes, and it's not just in the Middle East, it's all over the world, this is how things are done. And it's the same thing in biblical history if we looked at the Bible itself. If you looked at 1 Kings chapter 15, you're going to read that the house of Baasha wipes out the house of Jeroboam. That it happens. That in 1 Kings chapter 16, the house of Zimri wipes out the house of Baasha right after. That in 2 Kings 9 and 10, the house of Jehu wipes out completely the house of Ahaz. And this is how regime changes happen. There's nothing new about it. It has happened for thousands of years throughout the world. It happens after David, that people go back to that regime wiping, that we are going to wipe them out. Of course he's afraid. Mephibosheth is a prince of the former regime. And he knew that what was in store for him now was that Saul and Jonathan were no longer on the throne. Everybody knows how this plays out. Everybody knows. Everyone accepts this practice. This is how it is done. But David didn't do what everyone has done, and he doesn't accept this. Why not? Because he made a covenant with Jonathan that no new king would ever make with an outgoing regime. That would never happen. But he made a covenant, he made a promise that he would show Chesed to Jonathan's descendants. That David embraced the enemy within the safety of this covenant. Do you see the parallels between David's Chesed towards the enemy, Mephibosheth, that this is not supposed to happen, that this sort of thing doesn't happen, and how this parallels our relationship with God and what Jesus did as a Jonathan and making a covenant with God just as Jonathan and David made a covenant for each other for the benefit of Mephibosheth for the benefit of us nothing's going to change it even though it's supposed to even though those in rebellion are supposed to be wiped out those who reject the new king are supposed to be wiped out No, I made a covenant with Jesus. I'm not going to wipe you out. You're going to sit at my table. We're going to dine together. You're going to inherit everything that my son has. It's beautiful. And this is Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God has extended chesed to us, and it's it's in nothing short of awe, of wonder, of this is not how it's supposed to be that this is amazing this is astonishing this is unexplainable you look at Romans 5 again and i just want to highlight a few phrases from that passage verse 6 for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly verse 8 but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us in verse 10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We're in the middle of the rebellion. We're in the middle of the rejection. And yet he still extends it. And it's not until you and I recognize that we realize that we are Mephibosheths. That we fall down before God. And I hope it's not in confidence, thinking like, yeah, I'm all that, but it is, you better show up in fear, because what's supposed to happen to you is you're supposed to be wiped out. That we are weak, that we have missed the mark, that we are enemies according to Romans. And if you don't recognize Christ for making the covenant with God, if you don't recognize God as the King, you don't marvel at the Savior we have in Jesus who died for the ungodly, namely you and me, and reconciled us to God by his death, you won't see your weakness. You won't see your sinfulness. You won't see your opposition to God. You're too proud. One of the incredible, amazing things about God is that God loves people whom he has no reason to love at all. That's insane. There's no reason for God to love you and me. We are all Mephibosheths. We are all of a previous regime. It should, we should all be just wiped out and then the next one comes in. There's no reason for God to love us. There's no reason for you and I to be eating at the king's table. And I can't tell you why he does that, because it makes absolutely no sense. It's a new kingdom. We're supposed to be wiped out. We didn't belong there before. But Christ made a covenant with God. And he says, God, don't wipe them out. Promise me that. Okay, and so here you and I are because of Jesus Christ that God has shown us chesed. You and I don't deserve it. If you feel that you do, it's just like this entitled first world mentality that you have. You, really, you and I really don't deserve it. I mean, what do we do to deserve it? God only extends the chesed because of Christ's sake because of what Jesus did. I can't explain it. I don't know why Christ would do it. All I can say is, thank you. Thank you. That's all I can say. There's no reason behind it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. In your name that you cut a covenant with God the Father to reconcile us to you. This amazing chesed that you've extended to us, this goodness, this mercy, this love, steadfast love, one that isn't broken, to give us a a protection, to give us provision, to give us a place at your table. Lord, ask for a spirit of humility to fall on us because so many times in our lives we feel so entitled to things and we feel like we we deserve certain things or that people need to answer to us. May we have a humility as Mephibosheth entered David's court, that as we enter into your court, into your presence, that we recognize and realize who we are and we come before you in that way knowing that we don't deserve it, but that you restore it to us undeservedly, and that is grace, that is mercy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have communion elements, let's take uh, this together. If you don't, just hold up your hands, and we'll have some folks get those elements to you. Bread of life as Jesus said he was in the Gospel of John. The bread of life came down for us to give us life because we were sentenced to death prior to that. And so we take this every week in remembrance of what Jesus did, that he was broken for us, that fulfilling this covenant with God, that we are looked upon as righteous. We are looked upon as clean not as enemies because of Christ. We take this in remembrance of Jesus. The fruit of the vine, a costly covenant. A covenant, as often is said, is is cut. Covenant is cut. So even in Old Testament pictures, when the ox was cut in pieces and a covenant was made, that you would walk, if you did not fulfill this covenant, then you would end up like this ox cut in pieces. It was a very serious picture and this is a very serious reconciliation that Christ shed his blood for us so that we can be reconciled with God. Take this in remembrance and celebration of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we're very thankful for how you rescued us, for how you provide for us, protect us, and give us a place in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.